recording. Okay, guys, welcome to the Lifters Chat Room episode number four. And today, me and Shrivas is joined by Sharmada Venkat. Sharmada is a nutritionist, and uh, she has got her BSc and MSc in sports nutrition. And I would like to uh, ask Sharmada to give her a bit of an intro for herself introduction. Okay, hi guys. Thank you so much for uh, having me over. Um, so I am a sports nutritionist by profession, but um, I've done my bachelor's in general nutrition and then did my master's in sports nutrition from the UK. And now I'm working with an organization as a sports nutritionist as well. So I primarily work with athletes, but I also work with the general population, you know, those who have like genetic fitness goals and clinical conditions and all of that. But um, yeah, that's about me. Cool, cool. So, uh, my first question is, it's very basic and very simple, but I think like a lot of people don't know the difference between them. So, what is the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist? Basic difference. So, um, that's a good question because I think a lot of people just add these to their, especially nutritionists, a lot of people just add it to their bios and, you know, as a uh, yeah. you know, designated career, even when they don't have the appropriate qualification for it, right? So, um, a nutritionist, the title is basically not protected. It's not a protected title. For example, like a doctor, no, not everyone can call themselves a doctor, right? Mm-hmm. So um, only those who have an MBBS degree or an MD degree can add the DR to their um, uh, you know, prefix. But nutritionist is not like that. Anybody can call them a nutritionist. However, a dietitian title is protected because you need to have written um, a registered dietitian exam to call yourself a dietitian. So it just adds a little bit more credibility to your uh, profession. And a dietitian usually works in a clinical setting. Um, a nutritionist could work even in the food industry, even in the sports industry, whatever it is. But it's more like um, all dietitians are nutritionists, but not all nutritionists are dietitians. So unless you have that uh, additional exam, you can't call yourself a dietitian. Okay, so that's that. Cool. Uh, Shivas, you have any questions for her? Yeah, uh, I'd like to ask you, like, how important do you think is to, uh, for a normal person, like a day-to-day person, who no sports, nothing, just living a general life, you know, office, nine to five, taking care of the kids and everything. How important do you think is for them to follow a good nutrition plan or a good, uh, you know, a good overall uh, eating uh, pattern or, you know, a diet? Um, I think it's actually all the more important for people apart from the, you know, the athlete population. I think it's very important because if you look at food, I think people need to look at also quality of life, right? That That's something I strongly believe in because if you're not eating well enough, okay, you're obviously going to be deficient in certain things. You won't have enough energy. So ideally, food should nourish you and give you the energy to do everything else that you want to do with ease, right? Um, that's, a, that's an example that I give to people when I talk to them. Let's say you want to do a trek, all right? They will be testing your fitness levels. They will be testing how um, healthy you are to take the trek up, right? And if you're someone that's super weak and you have certain deficiencies, then they may not even let you go on that. So if you eat well, you'll be able to do even those other things that you're supposed to be doing with ease. So um, even if someone who has a nine to five job, to be good at your job, to have the energy to go through, you know, meetings and presentations, whatever it is, you need to have energy. You need to have like a good all round like quality of life. And I think food covers like more than 50% of that. Yeah, like in India, seen uh, people under eat protein a lot there's no protein mm-hmm. indian traditional indian mm-hmm. diet do you think the same way i i think um there was i i think the last time i read an article uh, there was a study that was done that said indians are eating much less protein than required um but also i don't think everyone needs to be on a high protein diet that's obviously a different i think conversation so, so by how, itself how do you how do you define Not a, a high, high protein, protein diet like yeah, just like basically, we don't have, I think we uh, traditionally, um, we don't have enough protein. If we just stick to the basics, stick to your dahi, paneer, um, you could add tofu and stuff. It's, it's more about 
improving the quality of the meal right i don't think a lot of people get that they yeah. say no but we've been eating this for so long so this is going to work right but our lifestyles also have changed drastically from before right sure. um if you look at your grandparents and your uh, you know ancestors they had a lot much more active lifestyle than all of us and maybe what they ate then suited them then because it yeah. was a completely different life altogether but now we've become all the more sedentary all the more um i think uh, lazy in terms of um work because you have a washing yeah. machine you have a mixer there's no physical activity at all yeah. Yeah. and all of us just work in front of a laptop so in that sense if our lifestyles have changed then the food also has to change accordingly and i feel like maybe the not enough protein also comes from that conditioning that you know i've been eating this for so long so it should be good you know my everybody's been doing this for so long Yeah. but um i think we are um i think from a very personal standpoint we are eating less protein um we should at least be meeting the bare minimum requirement there is something called a recommended allowance and at least meet that if not for high at least meet the bare minimum requirements because your body needs protein to function it's one of the most important macros that body to me yeah and it makes sense totally like uh, we eat, basically eat a lot of carbohydrates and also the fats that come in our diet come from oils we don't have like yeah. sources like avocados and we don't eat nuts that like even a normal people doesn't uh, people don't eat nuts that much they like their major fat consumption comes from the oils which they use for cooking yes. and yeah it kind of makes sense because earlier we used to walk a lot and we needed this probably farmers need that much carbohydrate because they're using a lot of energy mm-hmm. and we are sitting here in front of the laptop recording a zoom meeting and we don't need that that much carbohydrate right now Yeah. So and and like uh what do you define as uh the bare minimum protein requirement for an individual like how many grams per kg I would start I think um I mean the recommended allowance as per the um guidelines is 0.8 to 1 gram per kg yeah. body weight um I think that is the requirement and I would start with that I would start with the 0.8 to 1 gram first and then slowly amp it up mm-hmm. yeah like and i wouldn't automatically put them on a 1.4 1.5 cuz that's a lot if you compare um a heavier person i yeah. think that that is quite a lot of protein yeah. and they need to first get accustomed to eating at least protein in every meal and then slowly increase it there on if need be yeah because like if you change it like with, uh, like that level of change if you will bring then it will make the like foods totally you know alienated like the full food will completely change that how how it looks the composition will completely change so that also might be <laughs> and it's also according to their goals right it's yeah. also according to their goals so if it's just general i just want to eat better then maybe they don't need that much protein mm-hmm. as maybe let's say like you guys like powerlifters obviously need a lot more protein mm-hmm. but um if you just look at someone who just wants to eat better maybe that bare minimum is more than enough for them 1.2 max maybe 1.3 but um for someone who's very active for someone who lifts a lot who lifts heavy or athletes they would definitely need more according to you know their weight yeah yeah okay so uh, another like a question i had since you said that you know you coach uh, athletes as well as uh, day to day people <clears throat> so uh, what do you feel are the mindset differences between like you know an athlete following a program given by you versus the mindset of a you know a, a day to day person like what do they feel about their diet like what do they you know uh, if if there's uh, you know you have to portion control and you have to uh, like watch your calories and everything so what do you feel is the mindset of an athlete while tracking their calories and uh, uh, watching their food versus a normal person so with athletes i think comes with uh, naturally there's a lot of discipline in build if you have noticed uh because they have these early morning training they they've dedicated their life to sport so anything to uh give them that edge for performance they will do it right um i think that's the good part of it and that's something we should learn to because the amount of discipline and like after point is not motivation it is discipline right you need to have a routine like if you have to wake up at 5 am and train for 2 hours every day and then train in the evening again that's that's beyond motivation and you should really be passionate about what you're doing so for them this help is more than what they can get right um i think 
that's something that I've noticed in terms of uh, athletes versus the general population because some of us are, um, we take some time rather. There are very, very disciplined people who do take up nutrition plans as well, but it takes a little bit of, uh, it's a different mindset in terms of their goals also. So looking at performance versus, let's say, uh, uh, an aesthetic weight goal, right? Like weight loss or weight gain. Most of it is weight loss. Um I think that matters too, right? Like, what do you, what do you, uh, what is your goal with with eating, right? So when you're looking at performance and you're seeing yourself like get better at a sport, then okay, that's something that you know the athletes do. But with this, their mindset is more of okay, how fast can I reach this particular weight number, right? Um, and then as a nutritionist, it's my job to tell them that listen, that's not how it works. You need to sort of work on your habits also because that heavily influences your food food as much as we talk about calories it's if it was that easy right to just be in a deficit then everybody would be in a deficit or a surplus but right. your behaviors govern your intake also like if you're not sleeping well or if you just stress eating and stuff you're automatically offsetting whatever your uh, deficit is or surplus is yeah and uh, you talked about you talked about reaching a goal as soon as possible. They have that mindset, right? So do you, have you seen any kind of obsessive behaviors with food when it comes to athletes? Because I have seen that. Sort of ask, yeah. yeah, so most of the bodybuilding yeah. athletes, yeah, they get so obsessive with food. I mean, like they track like even like one gram, they, they track like, gram to gram and they get so obsessive. Like if, like yeah. for example, if they have to eat 200 grams of rice and if they eat 210 grams of rice, they think that they have created some blunder and they like get, get yeah. conscious and stuff. So have you seen I that? I haven't seen well? that in athletes. I haven't seen that in athletes because I work with uh, proper sporting athletes, not the bodybuilders. But I've observed this in the general population. A lot of people, they they come to you with that issue itself. They're like, listen, I'm getting too obsessed and anxious about my calories. And I don't know how to, you know, um, stop, right? And if they stop tracking, they automatically think they're going to be in a surplus yeah, and that yeah. sort of, you know. So I think so. there comes the fine line between who, like, I don't know. I think your state of mind also plays a role. So if it's getting you anxious, if it's getting you really fixated, and it's not improving your quality of life, like overall, right? If, if, it's, if your behaviors around food is changing, it's making you anxious and unhappy as opposed to, I mean, food, food is supposed to make you happy. Right? I am a strong believer of that. So if it's making you uncomfortable and your state of mind is in a different place, then I think you should wean off that habit, which is why most of my clients don't track. Um, they do portion control because it also works better for an Indian setting, if you notice. Our foods are so complex and we have this habit of cooking for the house. I mean, you don't make food, unless you take up the responsibility of cooking for yourself, you cook for like the family. So you can't go tell them, hey, I want you to weigh out like 100 grams of uncooked rice, um, you know, like 30 grams of uncooked dal. That's not happening, right? So you need to work around that also. Like it's a very, it's the, culturally, the context is very different. Like yeah. food abroad, cooking abroad, um, outside of the country is very different, very simple food. But if you look at our dals and our, like in the South, if you look at our sambas and customs, there's so many like things that goes varieties. in. Yeah. And honey varieties and ingredients also that go in. I mean, considering if you weigh it wrong, right? Yeah. Um, you need to simplify that. I mean, how long are you going to do it? Right? Or if you go to a wedding and if you're eating out with your friends, are you still going to be obsessed about, oh my God, how many calories are there in this? Uh, you know, am I, I mean, you're losing out on, I don't know, moments with your friends as well. Like, you know, it shouldn't become an obsession. It, your, yeah. Most of our lives don't revolve around food and fitness. Right? We have other things to do as well. Yeah. And I think that's pretty important. It shouldn't, that shouldn't be your, you know, focus point or whatever. You should pay attention, but you can't be obsessed with that. Yeah, totally. Apart from you know this uh, obsessive food, uh, I wanted to ask you: Have you ever dealt with someone who is uh, you know like uh, a victim of like uh, binge eating or maybe you know like uh, stress eating, emotional eating? Have you ever dealt dealt with something like that? Like when they you know like they feel anything, they go off program and you know start eating out of uh, their emotions or stress. 
it's it's a lot more common than you think uh, stress eating yeah. so there's a difference yeah. between like obviously binge eating and stress eating so binge eating is actually like is an extreme so it's it's we all fall somewhere on that spectrum okay so um eating past fullness most of us do but eating past fullness continuously is overeating and binge eating goes on the other end of the spectrum where you actually make yourself sick right i think um that's what binge eating is and stress eating emotional eating is very 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 common more common than all of us think um in terms of uh, the general population a lot of us do turn to food as a coping mechanism for uh, just letting out stress and emotions and stuff and it's not wrong to do it on occasion uh, because that is the first accessible thing that you see right and it does give you temporary satisfaction but i think we need to understand that it's a temporary solution it's not a permanent fix to the problem so what most people do when they stress eat and emote like uh, indulge in emotional eating is you eat a piece of uh, whatever you want chocolates chips whatever it makes you go- feel good for that moment just just the fact that you're eating it and then you realize after eating that the problem is still there it hasn't gone away right so you eat more to feel better so it's that that's how the cycle goes and every time and you feel depressed they eat the same thing exactly every time they feel sad every time they feel um, you know it becomes a habit more so slowly as opposed to just a coping mechanism right a lot of people have this tendency to get sweet cravings for example after lunch i've noticed this a lot and after a point it just becomes a habit so it's like um, you know you keep giving yourself that one piece of chocolate and one day when you don't get it your stomach's like hey i need it right now Um, right so it becomes a habit more so so it's very important to sort of see that's what i was saying so if you uh want to look at a weight loss or a weight gain plan or whatever it's eat well you need to address these behaviors as well because all of this matters like if someone just gives you a diet plan and says hey this is for 3 months follow it they will do it but what what about after that what about the stress eating and stuff if they're going to constantly be doing this isn't that also unhealthy isn't that also an unhealthy coping mechanism right so um that's something that's something that i strongly believe and i feel like your behaviors govern so much of your eating that then you know right so it's it's not just a matter of redu- reducing nutrition to you know just calories in calories out yes calories yeah, yeah. in calories out but there's so much that influences even your money your socio economic status accessibility to food you know living in the city versus that you know living uh, somewhere else you know um things like that and you know when we were talking about protein and stuff right it's also accessibility like usually for most of us the milk uh, paneer dal rice all of that is more cheaper compared to someone you know going to someone and saying hey you know what maybe you should buy like tofu it's not um, lean turkey you know yeah exactly so it's also that so you need to sort of figure out you know are there you know cheaper alternatives also in an indian uh, setting so i think the cultural context and behaviors play a huge role like in your food definitely and you talked about seco uh, calories in calories out and last time also we talked about in our second episode i guess we talked about this and there was a video with some meme page posted and it called it got all viral and then we started like there okay. was a there was a hate comment which said that hey like we should encourage people to learn seco and to fit in stuff like which they don't feel like fits in their diet like for example the foods that give them happiness basically like eating something like an ice cream or a chocolate but my point was that uh, people are kind of butchering seco they like especially athletes like we know that we need protein to build muscle we need we, uh, we know that we need uh, like high volume food to keep ourselves full but what people are doing is that even on a fat loss phase they are eating ice creams and like very high calorie dense foods on a regular basis and and i'm not saying it's wrong it's completely fine but it will not keep you full and it it has zero protein so although you are getting your you know mental uh, mental <laughs> fetish satisfied by eating that yeah. but you are actually not getting in the like fuel that is needed for for your performance because you are performance athletes right so and i i personally think that seco was just meant like you you mentioned like you go out on a party 
so you you know beforehand that i am going to overeat in the party or like the calorie is going to uh, going to ramp up so i you can apply seco at that moment but it shouldn't be like you shouldn't butcher it what what are your views on that see i think there's a lot of like i said nutrition has sort of just been reduced to calories in calories out okay yeah. and there's so much more to it because most of us see we need to understand the basics obviously the foundation that see if you eat more consistently the excess is going to be stored as fat right and that and that's very helpful for the most of the general population because they think eating one one ice cream or like one cake or a banana would you know make them put on weight and stuff right so it's helped sort of combat those uh, myths but i think see always looking at it from a calorie perspective is also quite harmful right because if i give myself an allowance and i'm putting this in quotes okay because a lot of people say hey this is my calorie allowance calorie budget for the day and i can fit whatever i want into this that is still restrictive in my in my head okay because you're trying to give yourself a budget every day to eat right um if you have a fitness goal and if you have to make weight for example for a competition and stuff then i get it i understand that you know you have to like a boxer and stuff they have to make weight right so that is fine you do need to sort of get them into their weight category but i think um you know for most of us if we just learn to apply like an like a 80 20 you know like percentage where 80% of the time you eat whole foods okay you eat like to uh, fruits and the veggies and the nuts and seeds and whatever it is 20% of the time you are going to be needing friends and going and that's okay and you're going to be doing that on occasion yeah it's not an everyday thing i mean it's an everyday thing then obviously your nutritionist will guide you through it but i don't think we all eat out and go out with our friends every day mm-hmm. right um so i think on that occasion it's okay to just just be just have fun you know it's not really going to do much harm and if it's going to help you mentally then good right we all need like a social break as well um you can't be obsessively sitting with your weighing scale and you know tracking your food every day then you're going to be isolating yourself completely right so it's a very th- fine line between like obsession and just doing it because i want to track i think the line blurs somewhere for most people which is why i think always only talking about calories and food is also a problem like hey i'm eating this like i mean i know a lot of uh, athletes and sports need it i know that um, but not all athletes need to track as well okay it doesn't want you understand the concept see calorie tracking is a tool like weighing your food is a tool to be in a deficit or a surplus you can always do either without it as well uh-huh. so i think that's 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 one thing that's you know uh, a little problematic and helpful at the same time yes people should know that you know this has if this is a calorie dense food this is a nutritionally dense food but also it's a bit problematic when you only look at food as calories i mean it's a lot more than that right like um, it's food is like i think a lot of things we use food in festivals we use food in parties birthdays so it's a lot of things beyond just that number like oh this is a carb this is this is like 100 calories per 30 grams i mean i think it's a little more than that yeah and uh, yeah you have any questions viewers yeah uh, when you uh, like make a diet chart for a male versus a female do you consider any differences between the two like do you uh, you know like uh, any you know like not in uh, from the viewpoints of their calorie or nutritional needs but apart from that do you consider any differences like maybe you know uh, working around a girl's uh, menstrual cycle maybe you might make some changes maybe uh, through you know any phase any anything like that do you feel there's a difference yeah there is a difference i think in terms of that only i think the hormonal changes uh, and generally the menstrual cycle because most women tend to uh, have a lot more cravings a lot more uh, and they eat a lot more during that time like either pre menstrual and during the menstrual cycle and that's perfectly normal because you're burning a lot more energy on those uh, 3 to 5 days right so that's also kind of a way of your body saying i need to eat more because this is an extra function that i'm doing on that week for you right and you end up facing a lot of emotional changes bloating so that's when the stress eating and the mood swings and all of that come in and that might influence your food intake right 
So around that period of time, I think it's important if you have an nutritionist to talk to them about it, say how you feel at that time. You know, I tend to reach out for sweet stuff, which is fine. You know, it, it happens because it's a really like, it, there's a lot of changes going on inside. So for each woman, it's a different thing. Some people don't even eat. They get very nauseous around this time and they don't eat at all, right? So you need to talk to them and understand each person's difference in that uh, period of time. And I think... Apart from that, I don't think there's anything largely different for a man and a woman, unless like the woman is pregnant or, you know, they're like dealing with a clinical condition. I think more or less it is the same unless they have any specific deficiencies or they need to supplement with something else. Yeah. And uh, there, there's a fuss about this hormone called leptin, which apparently keeps you full. Mm-hmm. So what are your takes on that? Does uh, leptin levels in your body, like, like for example, like what I've heard from athletes who like uh, are on a surplus for too long, they say that their leptin uh, levels are, uh, I guess they're low, so you don't feel any hunger. Is, is, that, is that the case? No, your, your voice just got cut off, like just for a little bit. You were asking me about leptin, right? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so see, um, I'm not too well-versed on uh, hormonal changes per se, but leptin is the hormone that keeps you full. Okay, and ghrelin is the one that makes you hungry. Okay, so um, one thing that does happen is you will your uh, hormones will change. I think the levels of leptin will change as you um, gain or lose weight. Okay, yeah. that I know for sure. Because uh, another theory that does come in when we talk about leptin and ghrelin is something called as, uh, you know, when you are dieting for the first time or when you are uh, cutting down weight for the first time, you do feel significantly hungrier, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. Um, and there's a theory that your body was okay at that weight. I think this theory has been sort of debunked at some point, but um, let's say you were at an 18 or trying to cut down to like a 75, 70, right? you do tend to feel hungrier. So your body is trying to increase your hunger hormone to get you back at that original weight, okay. right? That, that's um, just a theory or is it a research kind it's of It's called thing? a set point theory. I think it's been debunked, um, okay. but it's a very interesting concept mm-hmm. uh, where your body has a specific weight that it's comfortable at, right? Mm-hmm. But this I've noticed personally, or I'm sure you, if when you've tried like cutting or uh, doing like a nice big cut, Mm-hmm. Um, I think you will feel significantly hungrier um, just at least for a week or two or at least two, three weeks just, you know, when you start off because you're used to eating yeah. that much food yeah. and you don't particularly feel, which is why we say, you know, increase food volume mm-hmm. with uh, veggies and, you know, your protein and all of that and eat a lot of fruit, eat a lot of like fiber to keep you full just to sort of tell your body, hey, I'm giving you more food. It's just not the same uh, calories that I'm giving you at that period of time. Yeah, so it's it's basically debunked, right? It's theory. Yeah, I'm just gonna get back on that to you. Cool. But it's Sorry. very interesting. That's something that 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 was. That's a very interesting that, theory. That it was a big thing that got theory. debunked. Apparently, it has. It has been debunked, right? Cool. Are you asking me? <laughs> Yeah, I'm asking you because I, don't know I we learned about this though. So the set point theory. Okay. It's a theory as of now. So. Um, is it called set point theory? Set point theory. Yes, so a set point theory is where your yeah your body is stable, like it has a set point weight where it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. There's a healthline article on this. I have to go through it <laughs> no we'll go that's fine it's, it was that's just a fine. very interesting thing that it was brought up in a, one of our lectures in our masters that you know maybe is there in, is there enough evidence we don't know yet but um it was very interesting because that means your body is trying to get you back at a you know, certain weight and that's pretty interesting because it's physiological change then yeah it's uh it was nice to know that i mean like the brain is uh, kind of manipulating you from not losing weight by inducing mm-hmm. certain hormones. And in a way, your brain also plays, like, I feel like I tell people this all the time, that, that your mind plays such a massive role when it comes to uh, eating. Um, 
the cravings, the thoughts around food, your attitude around food plays such a big role. Like um, even for you guys, I'm sure if you're like cutting or bulking and stuff, there are certain challenges you'll face with, with your head, right? Because bulking is not easy either. You need to be eating so much food. It's, it's, um, it kind of depends on the person also. Like it's super easy for me. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely, but most people struggle with that sudden increase in volume. So you try to sneak in the energy to them, right? Like a smoothie with lots of you know uh, yeah. ingredients that you. A lot of people struggle with food volume. Uh, a lot of people because yeah. that much food in front of you is quite difficult to eat. Yeah, and it actually happened with me. Like I'm, I've recently turned uh, vegetarian for for some uh, some amount of time. And I started like my major sources right now for protein have been tofu and soya and yeah. uh, low fat milk, low fat paneer, all that yeah. stuff. And that all of it is so high volume. Like yeah, if, if, I I need to eat two hundred grams of soya to get thirty grams of protein, and that's so much work. It keeps me full. That's a lot of food. Yeah, so I, I that's an entire it. block of tofu. That's two blocks of tofu, like two small blocks of tofu. Oh my. Yeah, that's two hundred. That's a lot. Yeah, and like, and also soya chunks. If you see soya chunks, like mm. they, when you boil them, they absorb a lot of water and they increase in volume. Yeah, so I've kind of, uh, I've kind of like working on uh, strategies to make them less uh, contain less volume. So what I do is I first of all when I cook them, I remove all the water, then I grind them and I and I make their uh, you know patties or cutlets and stuff. And yeah, that that's how I'm doing it, man. Like it's it's really hard to eat a uh, hundred grams of soya in one day. And talking about soya, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. People say that uh, eating a lot of soya will cause their estrogen levels to go up. What's your take yeah, on that? That's that's uh, there's no conclusive. Yeah, there's no conclusive evidence for that. And another thing is um, plant estrogens are very different from. Uh, estrogen that we produce so they are called phytoestrogens uh, which is different so it doesn't have the same i think i did read an article that said it doesn't have the same receptor so it's not recognized as estrogen right so that means anything similar in other uh, you know in other uh, food types that's similar to our hormones then our hormones would be all over the place now right so uh, there are different receptors for different hormones so i don't think having uh, food rich in phytoestrogen will automatically increase your estrogen levels but at the same time like i am a strong believer of food diversity so i'd always say switch your sources up now and then you know do paneer three times a week tofu two times a week uh, something else maybe dahi two or three times a week you know sort of vary your food sources and protein sources also i think that's really helpful just diversity yeah. of food helps definitely and it kind of makes sense because uh, if you look at a vegan diet most of it is soya mm-hmm. it's kind of like products of soya mock meat is also kind of soya so yeah. if so if soy protein actually caused your estrogen levels to go up and cause you know uh, changes in the body then all the vegans would have man boobs all the main yeah. main vegan athletes would have man boobs yeah i don't think that's that there's there's no set there's no set research that says soy increases estrogen like at least from what i know um and i think that applies to a lot of other foods that um i think it also eliminates like a good source of protein for most of us if it did yeah. i think why eliminate a good quality protein source just because of a false claim at least for now till now there's no research that research that says conclusively that soy increases estrogen in anybody who consumes it mm-hmm. yeah sure questions yeah <clears throat> nothing I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, we were talking about this uh, estrogen thing, and like, there's there was a documentary called Game Changers. I think yeah. you've heard of that. Yes, and it I had, watched it. It was like they manipulated it so 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 good that they made mm-hmm. it look so real, and all yeah. those interviews they did. Uh, but if you see like. who were those people that they actually interviewed they were linked to the vegan industry so yeah yeah and and one of the claims that the vegan industry makes uh, is regarding milk and how like uh, the modern production of milk has a lot of uh, pus going into it and a lot of uh, estrogen also going from like they they say that 
the cows are injected with estrogen so the estrogen enters the milk but recently i guess lane norton uh, i don't know if you know about mm-hmm. lane yeah. norton uh, like uh, he referred a research in which uh, he claimed that uh, actually if you like if you eat estrogen like if it goes into your body through the digestive system uh, the acids will actually like it will not be absorbed by the body because and again the same concept where i think uh, one of my colleagues had posted something uh, when i was working with her a couple of years ago about uh, hormones and milk right that the hormones that they inject is actually not going to be it's there's no receptor in your body for it to be recognized as you know a part of you mm-hmm. um but in terms of uh, i think one see i know the game changer is very cherry picked very manipulated but the essence was that there are a lot of changes to be made in the industry itself like the dairy and the meat industry because it is unethical there are a lot of practices that um they do um in terms to get the milk right so they uh, over milk the cows they yeah. uh, inject them with hormones i think from an ethical standpoint, ethical standpoint it's wrong that's bad. Yeah. from a very so that's the fine line between um sort of advocating veganism if you're talking from a very moral and ethical standpoint for the welfare of the animals i agree i agree wholeheartedly that you know there are a lot of changes to be made and maybe you know if everyone did at some point on vegan maybe the industry would take that as a, oh okay maybe we should be doing something about this right yeah. um but from a very nutrition standpoint i think it's not superior um i don't think it's better and uh it's not either or okay so both the diets can be good but a vegan diet should be really well planned very very well planned because you do tend to get a lot of deficiencies uh, you do lack a lot of nutrients protein is one b12 is one good source of iron if you're a meat eater then you know your iron your meat uh, iron from red meat and stuff goes away and you'll have to rely on the vegetables that you have with iron and um i think it's important to just make sure your calcium also you'll have to look at vegan calcium sources fortified products and stuff so if people don't know this and automatically just blindly turn vegan and replace a cow's milk with oat milk and almond milk that's just water right it's not nutritionally superior if you've seen the consistency of almond milk and stuff it's just watery so and there's really nothing in it Yes. Um so I think that's important see you can convert you can obviously switch to veganism or you maybe be more conscious about or just be veg I think in India vegetarianism is quite is, easy and most of yeah, 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 yeah. mm-hmm. okay so it's fine but I think in terms of vegan you have to be careful you need to be aware of what you're getting into it's okay too but you need someone to guide you and at least yeah. help you out with the initial stages of So you 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 might be able to hit your macros but your micros uh, are not that available in the vegan diet right uh micros in terms of if you are eating a variety yes but then like things like iron for example from your vegetarian sources are not as well absorbed as those from meat right mm-hmm. so you need yeah. to make sure that you have that iron with a vitamin c source for better absorption and these things i don't think people know Mm-hmm. So if you go to a professional to help you out, they tell you, okay, every time you eat like you know, uh, I don't know, green leafy vegetables, try to squeeze some lemon on it or have like a glass of lemon juice or something, just to sort of try to make sure that your the absorption of the iron is increased in your body. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think small small details like that, or if you're deficient in B12, they'll give you a supplement to correct it. Mm-hmm. Because there are no great vegan B12 sources. I think nutritional yeast is one, but how much can you eat? Yeah. Right. um so there's also that so i think it's important to understand what is lacking and not look at it as oh if i switch to veganism it is the best diet on the planet you know it's the best way to eat i think that's the problem there like saying propagating one best you know uh i think one diet or eating plan is a problem yeah. yeah one food group right um, i mean yeah everybody benefits from eating more plants nobody is saying no right like more fruits more vegetables more nuts seeds whole grains yeah that's good for your body so maybe i think from an ethical standpoint it's it's right but from a nutritional standpoint the way the documentary was put out was very manipulated yes definitely and if someone who has no uh, prior knowledge of nutrition sees that documentary he will definitely fall for veganism yeah of course of course it's very very it plays on your emotions okay yeah. 
and it sort of has this uh, so that we compare i think on on something they compare like peanut butter and peanut butter as protein i mean seriously huh. <laughs> protein yeah and a lot of a lot of people came up to me and said hey but can i have peanut i'm like listen peanut butter is a great source of fat um you know and it adds to your protein intake it can't be the protein source yeah. um it definitely adds up through the day but you do know that you know a tablespoon is like easily 95 to 100 calories mm. so you know like okay uh, you know you do know that it comes with a lot of fatty nuts and nuts itself you know people think they're a great source of protein um yeah. they yeah. are they have some yeah, protein but they are more fat yeah if and if you try try to fill up your protein using nuts and all those things you will be like stoked more stoked on fat than protein yeah of course of course protein. exactly and it's so dense right and how much nuts can you eat that exactly. you're comparing see 100 grams of nuts versus 100 grams of chicken there's a large difference in the nutritional value itself exactly. so there's also that and nobody can eat 100 grams of nuts that's a lot of lot of like almonds and walnuts to think Mm-hmm. Okay, so I, I have this question uh, regarding you. We were just talking about nuts, and uh, in in uh, North, I don't know if if it's prevalent in South India or not, uh, but it's very prevalent in North India that people say that there are certain foods which elevate the bodily heat, and then mm-hmm. it causes pimples and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I just don't get it. I just don't get it how so- modern science explains it. I mean, like, I actually has, has not explained it. I haven't read an article that explains it as yet, but I have noticed uh, in many people that it happens. Like, mm. I'm talking from a very anecdotal, experience-based perspective. That you know, yeah. if you eat a lot of mangoes, I've seen people get like pimples, and there are. I mean, I mean, we do have that concept of heat-producing foods or whatever. um i my theory could possibly be it takes a longer time for it to digest a more energy to digest because it's rich you mm. know what i mean mm. and most of these are rich foods they're not something light okay it's not yeah. like uh, cucumbers or something and it's like cucumber is cooling because it has water which is fair mm-hmm. so um i think there must be some logic to it because for me personally um without research uh, evidence like purely anecdotally i've seen it happen with myself with you know i was uh, seeing others also hmm. ha i see it happens like i can't uh, yeah do you think it's uh, some sort of you know like rare exception type thing or that it happened more than i it, no no it's happened uh, a lot of times to a lot of people but i also yeah. feel like if you maybe it could just be the lack of hydration as well uh, you know if you don't hydrate well and i think maybe that could be one reason but i really haven't figured out like an actual science based answer to that but uh, there is some truth to it in my head um, but i'm just not sure what it is can it be something maybe like an allergy listening to this can tell us can it be something like an allergy i don't think it's an allergic reaction because it's pretty common because otherwise why generalize a group of foods as heat producing yes, foods yes. don't eat too much of sesame seeds yeah, right yeah. um that's another thing that my mom has been telling me like don't eat too much sesame seeds you might get mm-hmm. uh, you know um it might heat up your body a bit too mm-hmm. much and the next two days i had like you know extra pimples on my face so i um i don't know it's not an allergy for sure because allergic reactions are very different from uh, just getting pimples just you know mm-hmm. uh, yeah so allergy allergy also like in allergy the quantity is like it doesn't matter that much right because uh yeah yeah so if, if you only overeat these so called body heating foods then only you yeah. will get those uh, exactly if you eat them con- continuously that's why they say i think have milk after mango or something like that it's a very it's a very traditional thing this one mm. um they'll say have a lot of water after having uh, sesame seeds just to you know make sure i don't know where it comes from but uh, see i feel like some of our concept has some truth to it somewhere and it's just been lost definitely it's just been lost the reasons have been lost and everyone's just been following it for you know for some just for some reason just blindly but it, but it works why, why won't they follow it it works it works that's what i'm trying to say some of these actually work right and whatever science debunks it debunks but it's a very again like i said most of the science is done in western countries right yeah. it's done in a population that's not native to india 
Mm-hmm. So that's something that we need to be a little wary of when we read research as well. Yes, right? Yes. That the sample population is different. The food that they're giving is different. Um, the lifestyle is different. So there's so many things to take in that we can take the essence from all of these research and apply it. But more research needs to be done within this Indian population itself to see how we respond to things. Does the environment and the demography change things also? Yeah. So... like i just uh, read about read about something on the internet and it 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 said that uh, you know people of antarctica because in antarctica there is no vegetation mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. they they ate a lot of protein they ate a lot of fish and meat and they have been eating that for centuries and mm-hmm. if they start like start eating like normal people do like us indians for example it will not suit their body they will it will yeah. cause some problems like maybe something like that it does see the thing is where you stay plays such a big role and i think our country is a classic example of that right like each state each district has its own food Better. culture going on yeah and the climate based on the weather sense. right exactly yeah. so if you go further up like if you come down to the south in the summers you have lots of watermelons lots of coconut water lots of um water based fruits in season so you have seasonal mm. fruits that come in right you are in the north you get strawberries in winters you get broccoli in winters so i feel like that's not even a fact and in season vegetables are actually technically supposed to be nutrient rich for that particular season yeah. you don't see people eating i think deep fried food in the summer we tend to plate a little light you know like spinach watery dals you know those kind of food lighter foods just generally yeah, yeah. um and i think it's important to understand that also right like and the south obviously we're more rice eaters as opposed to meat eaters so it's all of that like all of that plays such a massive role for us so it's very complex that's why i said you know calories carbs protein yes but there's also so much other things going on yeah food is a basic basically it's a cultural thing it is a cultural thing it's it's, it's more than just your know, numbers to me and you should be able to enjoy it also i mean look at our wedding food and stuff There's yeah. so much going on. I mean, I know it's it's dense, but then it's a good thing, right? Like there is so yeah. much variety. There's so much good stuff. I think it's important to acknowledge that. And you know, as a nutritionist, you see people travel, people go uh, out, and they're like, okay, what am I supposed to eat when I travel? You know, you want people to enjoy food. Like when you're traveling to another country, I would say yes, carry away protein with you. You know, carry protein bars with you, but also try the local food, see what they're eating. I mean, you're going to be traveling once in a while. Like enjoy a little bit of that, right? So if you're really strict with your nutrition on that sense, like if you're obsessed, if you're picking on things, it will affect other aspects as well. Then you won't be able to enjoy your vacation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have another question. Do you have time or shall we end it? Yeah, I have like another maybe 15, 20 minutes. Cool, cool, cool. So uh, I had a question regarding uh, <clears throat> multivitamins. So a lot of multivitamins... uh don't have enough vitamins in them like uh, for example there's x value of things that you need to have per day and that multivitamin would have less than that so how how do you basically suggest a person to choose a multivitamin that is available in the market so, so one thing this is for the general population not the athletes sometimes athletes tend to benefit from a multivitamin supplement because it gives them more than one uh supplement but at the same time for most of the general population i think understanding why you need a multivitamin supplement first okay this applies for everybody first with any supplement why do i want it am i deficient in something okay let's start with that because why are you supplementing unnecessarily if you're not deficient in something right so that's one two is obviously the composition so how much am i getting from this is it even enough to combat whatever deficiency i'm having if i have it? right and what form is this supplement in for example you know for uh, magnesium is glycinate and citrate right mm-hmm. and then for creatine there's monohydrate and two other hydrochlorides so many other things yeah, yeah, we yeah. use creatine monohydrate only because it's more as better mm-hmm. yeah and i think understanding what form it is in also helps because that determines how it's absorbed right and then the rd like you said is it lesser or is it more some of these supplements have more of the vitamin as well like the uh, hypodose Mm-hmm. and you don't want it to become a toxicity you don't want to you know uh do more harm than good right 
So that's when that's why we say just don't blindly take a multivitamin supplement. If just see if you want to individually supplement. Let's say you have a D deficiency, you supplement with a D three supplement, mm. right? Why do you need zinc? Why do you need chromium? Just get it from your food. Yeah. So basically, what you're trying to say is, uh, uh, like, get a vitamin in which you're deficient at, rather than taking mm-hmm. a multivitamin. Get That's the single the vitamin. Yeah, get the single vitamin if you're deficient. If you're not deficient, why do you need a multivitamin? Cool. Okay. Just so keep the diet varied. Yeah. One thing I want to ask is, uh, what's your opinion on you know, like uh, when we diet, when we like cut. or when you are trying to lose weight what's your opinion on uh, you know eating too less or like you know like uh, someone you know who is eating like say their maintenance is around 2000 and they uh, or or 2500 and they are eating 1200 already and they've stopped losing weight mm-hmm. then what so too less is a i'll tell you why it's always been an issue for me is because especially in women when you see them physically eat less you see that they start losing their period it slowly becomes irregular and then it stops okay and this is i think it's pretty i've heard that it's pretty common in uh, competitive bodybuilding like you know the uh, when you cut a lot for your competition they lose their period for a couple of months and that's not right you know what i'm trying to say um that means you're doing some as in maybe you're doing it for a competition but eating too less is the problem because it's affecting other functions in your body um your your definitely your hormones are all over the place because you're losing your period you are not getting enough nutrients at all because you're eating like a bare minimum 1200 1000 is is very less food that's probably like one meal for many people yeah. and um i mean that's probably like maybe two meals for me but still whatever um so what i'm going to say is eating too less is also an issue irrespective of male or female um maybe for a short period for a competition i understand but on a, on the long run is it really helping you because you're going to be hungry for sure okay how much of a food volume you're trying to do you're not eating what your body needs you're going to be weak you're going to be tired um so is that really helpful your sleep is going to be all over the place you're going to be drowsy all the time is that really helpful that's my question eating too less versus eating too much both extremes are an issue because they come with their own set of problems what what i think about is is uh, i think like you talked about shrivas you talked about uh, the maintenance is 2500 and then you go like 1200 calories i guess maintenance calories is also a variable thing it changes when you diet down with so your weight yeah let's let's suppose you had a maintenance of 2500 3 months uh, earlier it will maybe have come around to change it, it will it will have it will have significant re- reduced till now it will change with your weight but if we just take the essence of eating too less then i think it's not good because see your body needs the basic food like i said like we say the basic rda like your recommended allowance like to function first for survival then for the rest right yeah, yeah. um because if you, that's when deficiencies start coming in because how much food variety are you going to get in that sense mm-hmm. right are you getting all your different foods veggies your fiber we seldom talk about like blood markers and stuff right um we're always looking at it from a very calories numbers that's why i say it's a very numbers perspective but then when you take a person's blood test you realize there's so much more going on the deficient they probably have i don't know skewed cholesterol glucose and stuff and you need to be fixing all of that first so there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that it's not just the numbers that we need to be focusing on it's numbers and the behaviors and the blood markers No, one more thing is that you know like i wasn't uh, you know like talking about uh, people who are you know like dieting for a competition mm-hmm. but like maybe you know some uh, i've uh, seen this with uh, a few friends of mine you know maybe they'll uh, try to lose weight uh, so, uh, some of my gym friends itself like mm-hmm. uh, i've seen at my old gym people uh, who want to like you know uh, lose weight or they want to look very lean when they are serious into bodybuilding and they try to lose weight too fast so like yeah. what do you think about that you know like maybe uh, the, you know like uh, from a calorie deficit uh, point uh, view point we always consider you know like uh, maybe decreasing like 200 300 calories per 
uh, two to three weeks or something like that. So, like, uh, what do you feel about that? You know, like people who cut calories, too many calories, too fast. I think it's okay, but it's not sustainable. I think that's where I stand. It's not wrong to have a larger deficit. Um, usually, I think we start with five hundred. Also, sometimes you know, if that's enough, if it's good enough for people to start with, it's okay to increase. I mean, the deficit, but. how sustainable is it so most of these juice diets and stuff do that right you're completely cutting off all solid food and going on a complete juice diet so that puts you on a very very large deficit and very low calorie diet so how sustainable is something like that you know how much more how long are you going to be continuing that which is why we say the more gradual the better and right? you're easing into it you're saying okay little by little i'll cut back on these things you're not going all out and saying okay i'm not going to eat this at all anymore i'm just going to be drinking liquids for a week Okay, you'll do it for a week, but what next? What happens the week after that? Right? Um, are you going to be drinking juices for the rest of your life? No. So we'll need to look. see. I think the problem is people look at it from a very short-term perspective. Okay, this event I need to do this, so they find out these shortcuts and do these extreme uh, methods. But look at it from a very long-term perspective. How long am I going to be able to continue doing this? Right? Or okay, I'll do this for a month, but what next? You know, that's why people keep putting back the weight that they lost on these, you know, juice diets and cleanses. Yo-yo diets, yeah. That's it. That's all you're doing. You're going back and forth, back and forth. You're not really doing anything solid, something that's equally sustainable in the long run. Yeah. Uh, do you do you advocate uh, diet breaks? Do you advocate diet breaks like, um, like yeah. being in a deficit and then maintaining there for some time and then being in a deficit like a, it's like a step approach. Yeah, um, I do that. Like, I I think uh, also generally, I think it is understood that you shouldn't particularly be in a deficit too long. Um, I think I do like a small maintenance break every three months, uh, just to sort of ease back, and that actually helps. Um, I've seen it help, but it's not you're not increasing your food too much. You're just sort of bumping it up a little bit back mm-hmm. to maintenance, and then like easing back into the deficit again. But um, I don't. Focus on it too much for most of the general population because they just end up eating, like they sort of change their eating patterns in such a way that it's more accustomed to their lifestyle. So I don't, with the general population, I don't nitpick on diet breaks that much because for them it's more of a lifestyle thing. Like I need to know how to manage my work and my eating. You know, those the, their issues are different altogether. But with uh, if you're looking at a specific like a bodybuilder or someone who's going for an event or something like that, then yes, it would be important to sort of make sure that you know they're on a good solid uh, plan. So I think that's a very uh, it's goal based also. I think for me, you know, like my opinion on this, uh, you know, like cut maintenance cut. I think that it's uh, a pretty good thing to do because. Mm-hmm. Uh, too long of a too long yeah. of a deficit becoming too large it can also you know like cause muscle loss and uh, you know like uh, issues and you don't want that if you're trying to yeah. put on muscle you don't want to lose muscle we don't do that i yeah. think i did do that for one of my clients who did uh, want to track her calories and you know we did put her on a deficit then bump back up to maintenance and then brought her back into a deficit and it worked really well um i would yeah. say but Again, like I said, for most of the people who don't count their calories, it's more of a lifestyle thing. I just yeah, want to yeah. eat better. I just want to know how to eat better. That's their goal, right? So yeah. I think that's also something that needs to be factored in. For most of these things, like what are your goals? Who are you? Like, are you just someone who wants to maybe get their blood markers okay? Like, they have high cholesterol, diabetes, thyroid, whatever. Right? So all that comes in then too. Like, do you even need to be on a deficit? Then don't you just first need to fix the, uh, you know. Issues that you have with your blood, um, those kind, those kind of things come in as well. I think that's important. Uh, so I would like to just ask you a final question, and then we'll wrap it up. Mm-hmm. So uh, first, I'm going to tell you a short story. So like okay. when I was when I was in my second year of engineering, uh, I was in my college, and my mom was uh, like she she had a lot of fat, so she was fat basically. and she tried to surprise me like i i was coming home on uh, diwali vacation so she she thought of surprising me that she didn't tell me about anything that she's going to lose weight and she went to a so called dietitianist uh, in my town and that lady was just dietitianist <laughs> dietitian dietitian 
I don't know like what she called what she called herself. So uh, that lady was so pro vegan, and uh, you know you talked about these juice diets. So my yeah. mom's diet look look like something like uh, drinking first turmeric water and then something like a cucumber smoothie and something like a beetroot smoothie. Basically, very low calorie diet. Most of it she used to fill it with water and fiber, and there was like like twenty grams of protein. in the whole day and no no dairy no nothing and you know my mom told her about that uh, i am into fitness my son is in fitness mm-hmm. so uh, and 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 she told my mom that hey uh, you know uh, whey protein is carcinogenic <laughs> stuff like that so she was basically very pro, pro vegan and very yeah. you know, anti dairy and stuff and she had the tagline that she had coached virat kohli and virat kohli is a vegan so everyone should be be a vegan something that so so that happened and uh, like after some time my i i tried to convince my mom that it's not sustainable that the kind of diet she is giving you it's not sustainable and it has zero protein yeah. so it's, it's also not healthy although yeah. it has micronutrients because she was giving her spinach and you know a lot of vegetables it yeah. has a lot of micronutrients but it also mm-hmm. like uh you you're not it's also lacking in a lot of other things other things like no no eggs no mm-hmm. no nothing no nuts she used to give nuts also sunflower seeds mm-hmm. and nuts and stuff so basically i told her that it's not sustainable and it's not good for your body but she was not understanding then what happened we went on a vacation and in just in the span of 2 weeks she gained about 4 k 4 to 5 kgs mm-hmm. and then she came to know that okay it's not sustainable for me that is like mm-hmm. a diet should be sustainable with your lifestyle like you should and not restrictive and yeah. not restrictive i think that's another problem right mm-hmm. um that we actually that uh, i'm just realizing we haven't spoken about that because if you look at that uh, that you cut off so many things maybe if you have a certain clinical condition it might require you to cut off certain things but if you're fine if you're healthy and healthy why do you want to unnecessarily restrict yourself from all of these things right yeah. again like it's a mind thing the more you restrict the more it's going to backfire later on yeah and the thing is um, that so, the the business model of these so called dietitians works on that they don't tell their clients back. yeah and they don't tell their clients that there is a thing called calories in and calories out there is a calorie yeah. balance thing how to call how to uh, count macros and there's a app yeah. called my fitness pal which is very handy and you can do it on your own so the whole business model runs on that but uh like after she after she came to know that it's not sustainable so i just want to ask you that what general advice would you give to a person who who just doesn't know about macros who just doesn't know about uh you know uh, calories he's not it's not uh, she or he uh, he is not into fitness he's just normal he or she is just normal person and they want to lose weight or gain weight what what advice what nutritional ad, nutritional advice would you like to give them I think let's keep it very simple. Okay, eat lots of fruits and vegetables. I think that's to start with. Um, drink enough water. I think that's super important. Um, I think a lot of people don't do that, and that's another problem because they're not able to differentiate between thirst and hunger. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, because it's more or less the same. The way it feels, your stomach mm-hmm. starts grumbling, your head starts hurting. Um, I would say include some form of protein in each of your meals. Okay. and obviously some form of carbohydrate and one thing is don't restrict any food group okay unless you've been told by a doctor for some medical condition to restrict something or if you're intolerant obviously to you know gluten or dairy there's no reason to go off something completely okay if you're doing veganism do it but any nutritious like what you were talking about right who says hey uh, you know what uh, cut out this food group completely and you know go on a juice diet they may be not someone you need at that point go to someone else right someone who knows their stuff and who's who believes in client education yeah. i think that's really important because what i tell most people is hey i want you to do this and not come back to me after okay and if someone says tracking is the only way for you to lose I me mean, if, if you're not taking into account your client's lifestyle think about that the reason why most of my clients don't track is because their lifestyles are so different I mean, think about let's say a mother of three sitting and trying to track her calories. I mean, that's not going to happen, right? Yes, yes. Or someone who has an addiction. So mm-hmm. tracking is a tool. So that's what I say. See, tracking is a tool. Portion control is a tool. Intermittent fasting for most people who do it is a tool to put yourself in a deficit, right? So whichever tool works for you works for you. 
So there's no one set way. So if your nutritionist is not able to understand your lifestyle and give you the best possible solution, then that's an issue. So I would say, think about all of these things. And I think also sleep, lifestyle, general lifestyle, stress, sleep, eating habits, uh, movement, all of that plays such a big role. So it's not just about how much you eat also. It's also about all of those other things. If you're not sleeping properly, if you're having super late nights, all of that helps. Like all of that sort of, you know, fixing all of that helps. Shivat, you have any question? Any last question you would like to ask her? Okay, on that note, it was a fantastic podcast. You gave a lot of insights about nutrition to both of us and all the listeners who are listening it. Uh, and uh, I'll put Sharmadar's Instagram handle in the description, in the Spotify description, and also in my Instagram clips that I post. And yeah, it was a nice uh, time recording the podcast. Thanks for coming in. And thank you so much, uh, guys. Do reach out to Sharmadar and give her a follow. And if you have any kind of nutritional related query, I think she will be uh, answering answering them. She answers like a lot of queries in her stories and all. She puts a lot of good content. So do reach out to her and give her a follow. And yeah, that's all. So we'll see you in the next podcast. And I'm gonna stop stop recording. Yeah.